getting this thing started, just give us a little bit about what the embodiment experience is and, uh, you know, what inspires you to create behind that. Mm. That's been, I've seen in recent years, it's been the motivation for me all along. So I, I had this kind of disembodied first awakening experience back in 2010 or something when I had my first dark night of the soul. So I had this complete experience of no identity and seeing how illusory everything is. And it was a terrifying experience for me because it was not grounded in anything for me. I didn't know about the yogic path by then. I didn't know about inner union by then. And so for me, it was basically being lost in nothingness, being lost in space and having nowhere no way to anchor that back into life to i realized pretty early on that we actually create our identity this is what i saw with everything being illusory we, we create our identity but what is the point of creating an identity when nothing matters that was my first experience my first dark night and so my journey really started, my healing really started when yoga found me. And it was a very humble experience at first. I found this yoga teacher online, one of the first back then, who would simply help me, remind me to connect back to my body through my feet. So just feeling the sensation of my feet against the floor. And then slowly from there, I was building up. And so I realized I had been very, very disassociated from my body. And I have had all this spiritual insight, but it was not a part of my body or my lived experience at all. And so my journey became one of yoga, one of integrating all of this spiritual insight into a life I actually wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it all came from me having had a very, very strong identity. So the reason I fell into that dark night was that I had always wanted to be a physicist. That had been my life goal since I was, I don't know, eight years old without any external influence. I just wanted to be that. And then when I was actually living out that, I realized that my passion was dwindling and I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept that because if I have formed my whole identity, if I have sacrificed so much just to be in this place where I am now, what would I be if I was not that, if I was not a physicist? And so giving up that was very hard for me. And that is what led me to the dark, dark night. And so having dissolved all of this identity, having dissolved that I need to be anything at all, I could begin from scratch. I could begin to create a new identity, right? Mm-hmm. So That's the good news. Yeah. <laughs> so I understood that I need to search for that one thing which makes it worth it, that one thing that is purposeful with this life, you know? It's... I I don't want this to just be a game. I don't want this to just be, you know, an amusement park. I want this to matter, at least in some way. Mm -hmm. And so yoga found me and I found that deep longing to experience the divine within me and be able to share that with others because I found that to be the ultimate intimacy. 
And so embodiment for me is really the art of learning to be so present, so unconditionally present with your body, with your lived experience, that you can accept all of what is so that you can make a movement towards what you want to become because you can't change what you can't accept. And that movement towards what you want to become that comes from your deep inner why, your deep inner connection with your inner essence, with the divine within you. Mm-hmm. And so creating that identity, which will express my soul, which will express my divine nature, and doing that in all aspects of my life, doing that through even just sensing um <laughs> through all my sense perceptions right now that is an expression of my divine nature or expressing what i love maybe creating art maybe speaking you know um every single way of expression through our human nature that allows my heart to express truly and fully mm-hmm. without the filters you know of fear of everything we've gathered from how other people think we should behave or should be what we've learned through our upbringing mm-hmm. was that a complicated answer well, that was actually <laughs> one of the probably best opening answers that i've ever had <laughs> That's, that was great wow mm. so you described as living a life that wasn't quite aligned with the so-called divinity right so it wasn't aligned with something inside of you that was uh that was kind of, um, I guess, guiding you toward a sense of purpose, like a sense of meaning, right? And you said that you found that through yoga and the yogic modalities. So what is, how could you describe what this meaning is that you embody? Like, What is this meaning that you have come to find through your practice? Well, I find that it's a meeting place between all of my human nature as I have been formed. So I have been formed to like certain things and dislike certain things and express myself in certain ways and not in others. And that is a beautiful thing. That is kind of my my artwork in this artwork of life. <laughs> and so to to marry that, to to become really authentic with all these likes and dislikes and express them without any judgment. And to marry that with with the deeper nature of what I am, which is not any of this diversity, not any of this contrast. Uh, It is just this pure awareness that is nothing, that is formless, that is one, you know, and that you have as much as I have, and that is in everything that we see around us. So I see everything around us as divine nature, having come to form and when we can hold that perspective of everything being divine of you being divine then i can meet you in that way at the same time as i express myself in the authentic very human very earthy very raw ways of you know how i've been shaped and what is my bodily nature (laughs) if that makes sense so my journey is kind of allowing both of those to have a balance to have an equal space in my life and to be honored equally Mm. yeah that makes sense so it's honoring the 
the all is oneness, the all-encompassing Brahman that we all are, this sense of one awareness, unitary consciousness. But not just dwelling in that, also honoring your your sense of individuality and all your bodies, ups and downs, pleasures and pains, and honoring the dance of, you know, the body and the, the whole experience of being in your separate sense. And then kind of like dancing between the two and, you know, uh, I don't know, just literally embodying the body, embodying the body, but from mm. a but from a point that's of that unitary consciousness right is that absolutely yeah that's absolutely how i see it so in the cosmic perspective so i think in the in the hindu mythology of shakti and shiva okay i don't know if you've heard about that but it's yeah. it's the same it's it's like yin and yang kind of um so shakti is all form all manifestations so including the energetic nature of manifestation and shiva is this all-encompassing awareness, which is just oneness. So Shakti is that dynamic of creation and she is the power to perceive. Okay, so within Shakti, Shakti works through all of our sense perceptions, for example. So in our that was the cosmic uh, perspective, but in our microcosm of our human body, we have all these layers of perception. So we have emotions, we have thoughts, we have the body, uh, bodily sensations. And in the microcosm of the human, Shiva would represent that awareness and that awareness gives rise to thought. Okay, so thought is the original, it's it's the first um, level of manifestation into form. And then from that comes feeling. And feeling is kind of a feedback loop to form. So feeling and experience gives awareness something to, to work with, you know, to explore itself in, in all these various ways, in all its infinite potentiality. And so Shakti within us serves up this and... Um, I lost myself. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah, so yeah. it's a back and forth symbiotic relationship. With yeah, exactly. It's a feedback Shiva loop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and what I feel is that, or at least in my journey, it's been the case that I and I see many in humanity have kind of lost touch with the importance of feeling to inform our actions. So we may support some feelings, okay? We may all want to be happy, but we try to suppress other feelings. And when we suppress something, uh, we hide information from ourselves. So the power of Shakti within us, the Kundalini uh, within us, the life force energy within us can begin to be active when we're not resisting anything in our own form. So we're not resisting any kind of emotion. We're not resisting any kind of thought. So that would mean um, that we're embracing what we call our inner darkness. We're embracing our anger. We're embracing all the things that weren't societally accepted when we grew up. And we learn to hold that compassionately. We learn to hold that with the same amount of love as we can hold 
uh, the easier going feelings or the more accepted feelings. And yeah. when we do that, we expand ourselves to hold the polarities, right? And when we can hold all polarities between dark and light, then we're not having to be attached to any of them anymore. We can just give ourselves to the experience. We can give ourselves to life. We can devote our experience to to just be lived through us. And so that is when we find that magic of experiencing everything fully while not necessarily attaching to anything. And so we can still be connected to our center. We can still be connected to that place where we know that we are awareness, pure awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we, so you're saying in, when we, shut ourselves off from certain emotions that literally dampers the kundalini energy yeah absolutely so the way i see kundalini rising uh when kundalini rises through our spine when we have an awakening is that it um shakes up everything all the things where we have resisted life okay so resisting life can be about trying to hide our thoughts, trying to hide our emotions, trying to hide our beauty, trying to hide our authenticity. All our limiting beliefs, all our karmic patterns, all of that has to go because it dampens life. And Kundalini is life. It's life force and it wants to be expressed fully. And so to connect that with what I said in the beginning, I think what often happens, and this is what I see in my work as well, more often than not, we have an awakening in our third eye first. And so we have this uh, awareness of all the of the vastness of the universe, basically, of the collective subconscious, as I call it, all the, these different dimensions and worlds. But it's not really rooted in reality because we haven't yet had the root chakra awakening. We haven't yet had a heart chakra awakening. So when we actually open all of our chakras, that is when we can live completely and fully rooted in our reality as it is and yet you know, have the higher perspective. And so that is a very, very humbling journey to go from knowing things to actually grounding them into our lived experience. You know, how it's more profound. We can first have a cognitive understanding of something. And then when we have the felt experience, it's that, aha, right? That's how it works. And it's so much more profound. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting way to put it. I feel that though. Mm. I understand that. I feel like that's that's how it happened with me too. Yeah. Got this kind of I like think it's common. Yeah. And then yeah, I had to integrate that. Come back home, you know, come back into the humanness. Mm. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. So how would you describe oh, you're gonna say something? <laughs> well, there there is absolutely a risk and this is something that I actually learned before my Kundalini really started rising. So I was kind of prepared for it. There is a risk that we really get lost in in this wonder of all the new worlds we discover, you know, or all everything we can see when we go astral traveling and all of that. And for me, that was never the goal, you know, because the ultimate experience, the ecstasy in marrying Shakti and Shiva is mm. when we go beyond that, when we go 
we let go so completely of the wonders of the world that we can rest in pure awareness and then bring that back into the body. So it's it's easy to kind of um, lose ourselves in excitement, like train stops along the way and get off at an earlier train stop. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just that it wasn't my journey. Um, I think part of us always knows what is most helpful to us and where we want to go. And if we want to experience soul union, then we've got to get on the train again and continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the whole complete human experience is literally being human but also being, I guess you could say spiritual, being this, this higher being, knowing that we're connected to everything and everyone, and there is this kind of sort of collective unconsciousness, and it might even go into astral realms, like you said. And, but it's about, it's about taking that, that higher perspective and literally being human with it. And it mm. is interesting how that's represented in our body, in the chakra system, like, in a higher sense, if you you know, with these chakras, the higher chakras, you can also reach an imbalance. And then the lower ones, you can also reach an imbalance. And then I guess our goal as a human being, it seems to me, is to literally come at the center in our hearts and create the balance between those two kind of seeming poles and then enact that. You know, like live live through the heart, like through a sense of uh, devotional love and servitude to others, yourself and others. And it seems like that's, to me, in my experience, that seems to be the uh, the complete gamut of the, the human uh, enactment of what it means to be a complete being, if that even makes sense. Complete Absolutely. Being. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. Mm. And and the benefit, if we can, if we can move towards that, and I think it's a gradual journey and, you know, awakening is always up and down like that. Yeah. But... The closer we get to there, the more love flows freely and we feel that intimacy because feeling that oneness is in a way an incredibly intimate experience. Um, it is a, a place where we can hold everything. And if we can do that with another human being, we're holding everything in between us and so all of your for example if if we use the koshas the the sheaths of our being in the yogic systems we have the physical being we have uh, our emotional and and cognitive the mind level and we have the energy and all of those become transparent and we're sharing it because in that space of oneness, there is no need for boundaries anymore. And so there is again this dance. If we get to this point with with another person, um, we balance being human with our boundaries, obvious boundaries and needs and all of that with this overflow that is just open, that knows no boundaries. And it's a beautiful dance of give and take of our two different natures that are also at the same time, the same. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah, it's well said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it's easy because if you want that kind of openness, that kind of transparency, that kind of intimacy, you need to have full intimacy with yourself. You need to have full transparency with yourself. And so that is kind of what I base all my work around. So Satya, I'm, my, my company is called Satya Mountain Yoga and Satya means truth or truthfulness. And I chose that because I feel that everything is based on the awareness journey, everything is based on self-honesty. You can't really get anywhere without self-honesty. Yeah. And when you're truly open with everything that comes up in awareness and you are prepared to say, I accept this, you know, I surrender this, if you will. Um, that is when you can hold that open space for yourself. And that is when you can hold that kind of intimacy with another person. Mm-hmm. And so if we can hold that with one other person, it's a beautiful thing. I believe that probably the ultimate, I think enlightenment is a very, very tricky word because it has so many meanings, but the ultimate experience of being human is probably when you can hold that kind of intimacy with everyone. And everything, right? Every event. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. So it's like a sense of uh, ultimate flow state, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely easier said than done, but I can yeah. see that. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, work in progress. Rome yeah. wasn't built in a day. I can see that, though. It seems like that's what um, saints embody, or these people that have uh, seemed to have, quote-unquote, made it. People that, mm. uh, you know, yogis, sages of the past. It seems like that is of the enlightened state, if one can describe it. It seems to be like a whatever happens happens kind of state and i don't even know if that's the right way to describe it but it is it's a sense of like no resistance to anybody or anything no expectations a literal Mm -hmm. sense of energy flow and when we described it before with the chakras it is in the shakti it is literally like a energy flow that is throughout one's body but like you said it is a give and take it's it's like energy through your body that is also like in the world and in of other people as well and it's like when we put up emotional boundaries within ourselves, and we're not truthful, we're not sattvic with ourselves. Um, that's when we we cut off that flow of energy. Literally, we put up barriers to that energy, and we don't we don't go with said flow of life. You know, it's it's real. I mean, it sounds cliche and hippie-ish, right? Like go with the flow, man. But it's I feel it, man. Once you can feel that flow of life, that kind of like, oh, it's just like a I don't even know. It's a like a pattern it's like a certain order that one can get with uh you don't unfeel it like it's there you know you, you know mm. I, I imagine i mean i'll speak from personal experience but i got days where I'm, i feel more with the flow and then i got days where i'm not so much with the flow you know but like i know that like it's it's always there i guess to tap into like that there is the said flow the said flow state of energy that one can always tap into and uh and i know that like Hmm, how do I put this? It's like a, uh, I don't know. Like once you feel it, you can't unfeel it. I, I know. And I'm true. curious. I'm curious. What does knowing about that state and having it relatively established in you? What does that give you? Hmm. A sense of peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Peace with the moment. Whatever pops up. Whatever happens in this experience of life whatever phenomena 
seems to pop up in my life, it seems to be uh, more more peaceful. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I. So I want to mention there is in yoga there are like three worldviews that you can choose where you want to focus your time. Basically, you can focus your time or attention in the karmic world where you will have all of these cause and effect and um, you can go for things you can want things and you will not really have peace because you will want another thing once you get the first thing and then you want another thing and then we have the level of jnana which is wisdom and it is something that as we go from the karmic level to more awakening, we find peace in jnana. And I think everyone does this, not just people on, on an awakening path. So, for example, we we read something that expands our mind, or we go out into nature that expands our mind, or we, uh, we sit in vipassana, you know. It is something that gives us wisdom and uh, an expanded perspective, and that gives us peace but and this is how my friend Bhakti Mang has explained it to me the risk with that piece is that we detach so much from the experience that it's not intimate anymore so we want that peace without all the trouble of the body the body has pains the body has suffering yeah. we want that peace without all the emotions all the problems in the emotional body we want that peace without the thoughts you know so we begin to detach more and more from our actual human perspective Whereas it is possible, and that is how he explains the bhakti path, the devotional path, it's possible to find both that level of peace and the intimacy with life, with God, with source. And this, how we choose to go towards bhakti is that we choose to devote ourselves to love or to source or even to God. So traditional bhakti would be to God as a person, but you wouldn't even have to go that far. I usually tell people, well, what what do you really care about? Like, what is so strong within you that you could devote yourself to it? For me, it's love. And if we choose every day, try to every moment just tune into this is my guiding light. This is what I want all my actions to be based upon. Then more and more we shape ourselves, we shape our persona, we shape our actions to become peaceful so we can feel that intimacy of love and not be disturbed. So all of these triggers, I mean, Anger is not really a disturbing emotion once you've come to fully embrace it, accept it, love it. Uh, it's just when something triggers you, you generally lose your sense of self-center, right? So the journey is about learning to have all those triggers and work with them so deeply that we can immediately come back to our center, to that deep why which for me is love to someone else might be something else you know yeah. mm -hmm. um so i call that the bhakti path <laughs> mm -hmm. and i think it is probably the most direct path because it 
works it brings us back to our heart again and again like we talked about before we can spend all our time in our mind but it will only get us that far you know we can't really ground it fully into our lived experience but in our heart we're more able to to create an intimate experience as we live it yeah yeah well said i feel like also the bhakti path in that the way that you just described it is the most relatable because we all have this so-called lived experience and we're all going to have triggers and pleasures and pain of the body um, especially if we're not an aesthetic you know we're not a sadhu or a monk so we're going to have these things pop up in our life right as a lay person <laughs> as a householder so it feels like the bhakti path of truly loving your experience for everything that it is, is, I mean, it seems the most relatable, but it also seems like the only path to me. Like, it doesn't seem like I could do it any other way because, yeah, there is this so-called peace that one can touch upon in meditation or, you know, other modalities and practices. But yeah, like you said, either way, we got to come back into the world, into the humanliness and stuff's going to happen. Somebody's going to cut me off in traffic. I'm going to stub my toe or something like there's always going to be, I guess, so-called disturbances of the body. Mm. And I guess the, the Bhakti path is a way to love whatever quote unquote disturbance yeah exactly yeah not even see it as a disturbance see it as just like another wave in the ocean yeah exactly because even that even if we do feel disturbed we can recognize it as our loving work to or our loving gesture if you will towards our divine nature that this is something we take on and allow ourselves to experience and to process at a deeper level so that we can free ourselves from it or even sometimes some of us work with collective things or things with other beings and to transmute that in our body so that it's no longer filled with attachment you know and so let's say it's something with anger then that anger becomes something embraced and beautiful and the work of transmuting it into that yeah. is our loving service so it's something we're happy to be able to do you know yeah. and it doesn't feel like that at first i know and when we're down in our low periods it definitely doesn't feel that way but more and more as we progress we can actually feel it that way mm -hmm. it seems like the the last vestige of our energy i don't know if that's the right way to describe it but let me rephrase that it's like yeah there's whatever happens always come back to servitude there's mm. always that servitude that serves as a kind of like a foundation for one's being and one actions like love as the foundation behind everything we have whatever happens in our life like i said trauma disturbances whatever you want to whatever happens in the movie of life you can take that and like you said transmutate that back into devotion mm. it seems like the way and is this like is this getting back to how we started the conversation is this the meaning that you found it's it's just loving devotion you know through your whole journey you found that this loving devotion is the way to truly embody uh 
embodied truth, this satya, is this the is this the truth? Is the is the really always just come back to love, remember the loving spirit, the the servitude that you are, you know, the servant. I think we're all servants in a way. Do you yeah. find that? That is my work, yes, now. That is my, my purpose, my why, as I feel it. But I did find that when I work with this in my life and with myself, that includes myself and my human self. So I came from a background of um, trauma and relatively much self-abandonment and overgiving and all of that. And let's say there is a God, like in, in the Bhakti tradition, God actually has a person and, and all of that. God would want us to be happy. God would want to take care of us and God would want us to take care of us. So my first work, my first responsibility is to take care of myself, my human self, my human needs so much that I feel that I can be a vessel for this love, that I feel that I can hold it and overflow it. So sharing my love, um, I think unconditional love is, has nothing to do with sacrifice, okay? Unconditional love is only when I have so much overflowing love that I want to share it because it's joyful to me. It's all I want to do. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with overgiving. And when we come from a background of people-pleasing, that is something we really, really need to learn. And I've had many, many lessons for myself, you know, karmic lessons just to learn all the ways in which I overgive mm -hmm. and uh, and it's painful to realize that because that is also a pattern of self-protection just like any other karmic patterns and so there is fear in the way of releasing such patterns but in the end we are as worthy of that love as any other and we need to give it to ourselves first otherwise nothing would we do will really work mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, that unconditional love is not sacrificial. Because I guess one can look at it as it is a sort of sacrifice. One can describe love as like I'm giving a little bit of myself to you. Like I'm sacrificing a part of me, my time, my energy, whatever it is to you. But that's not... That's that's conditional right there. Exactly. If you feel that you're sacrificing your time, it's already not. And yeah. it, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just a very normal pattern. But unconditional love would be when you feel that there is no nothing stopping you. You just want to give it because yeah. that's your natural state, you know. Yeah, exactly. There's, it's like there is nothing that I'm giving up. Mm. Right. There's no yeah, sense exactly. of that I'm I'm literally like I'm taking a part of me. There is that there is no sense of that. Yeah, because there is no separation, right? So yeah. I'm flowing energy to myself, which is you, but we're the same, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. That's really good right there. And that's the flow state. That's how we don't build up resistance mm. that, that's pretty much the story of the bhagavad gita right the main lesson is we just act without any kind of 
reckon what's the word when you get something in return Re- reckon I don't right know. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's about not working for the fruits of our actions in That's the Bhagavad Gita exactly. but to to just work for the joy of working you know exactly and That's true yeah that, yeah that is pretty much the path of the devotion to me yeah yeah <sighs> and it's funny right because that seems like it doesn't seem fun right like who wants to from from a you know to anyone that doesn't really understand or know any better it's like why would i want to become a servant it just doesn't seem like a ideal that a human would want per se but i feel like to me that's the only way to happiness and peace like i feel like that Mm -hmm. is that is the true embodiment the lived embodiment of a of a humanly vessel it's to serve the other humanly vessels first of all Mm. serve yourself that's Mm. the most important thing like we already said but then through that it's like a selfless selfishness if that makes sense Mm. (laughs) it's like you know i serve myself and then through that i serve you as well and i feel like that's the only i mean i don't know if that's the only way but it seems to me like a very strong way to reach this so-called peace and happiness whatever you want to call it in the motions of life it's just through like loving servitude for others uh, yeah just serving others and it's also that you become aligned with your innate joyful creator that's your kundalini energy right so you can actually begin to create with life something new so what happens when we have these egoic patterns of protection and we want to reach a a result for the result you know is that we have expectations and those expectations are basically what creates karma okay so we repeat our karmic patterns based upon the next expectation Mm. and that karma binds us to have similar results to what we had before and i say that feeling wise mostly so we may maybe expand materially but we still feel the same we still don't feel content with our material expansion and when we just give up the fruit of whatever we work towards and we just surrender that frees us from the expectations it frees us from the karmic ties of whatever we're working at so we're not creating new karma and that means we're in the space of freedom we're in the space of true creation where something completely new can be born from the that space of potentiality you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unlimited potentiality so we we come in contact with that inner power that is innately creative and we begin to feel that whatever we actually desire we can create and it's not even hard it's yeah. it's very easy it flows as long as we don't attach to how what it will look like you know and what, mm-hmm. what way we have to go there yeah. now this of course this works better and better the more really truly aligned with our heart we is and our desire so desire in the bhakti path is actually a beautiful thing because it is this divine creativity it, it is the actual essence of of shakti of creation but as humans 
we have learned to have a lot of desires that aren't really connected to that, you know, mm -hmm. because of all our fears, our filters of perception. And so the more we work on this, giving up the fruits of our labor, the more we work on just surrendering our actions, the more the more our desires really naturally go into the will of source, you know, we align, our will aligns with the will of source. It's not that we feel that we have to subjugate ourselves. It's just a natural process. Yeah. Through karmic debt in a way, like the karma, yeah. one can look at karma and I have in the past as almost like a punishment for our actions, right? It seems like it, that's how, how the popular archetype of karma is kind of conveyed to us. It's like, you know, you, it's almost like an eye for an eye. Like you, you're going to, you know, it's almost like you're, it's a, it's a result of your bad or good actions, right? Which it is, I guess, in a way, it's cause and effect. But mm. to me, at a deeper sense, it seems like karma is really just a catalyst for us to wake up to this inner dharma within yeah. us. It's a guide. It, it's a guide, exactly. And it's, a, it's ultimately like a giant lesson program, in a way, it seems. And until mm. we until we get the message, until we get the lesson, then we keep building up karma. But once we the karma is going to continually be there until we find that alignment, and then we don't build the karma. It's like a perfect. It's like a perfect system. It's like I, I absolutely like, self-regulating. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm picturing. Yeah, exactly. Like in my head, I pictured like a, uh, yeah, a self-regulating, some kind of like feedback system of with the divine. You know, mm. it's interesting. It's like you know, get you haven't got the message yet. We'll, we'll give them that. We'll give them give them this message. Keep keep trying to ping them until they get aligned to God. And that's why I don't see it as any other. There's no other way. It's like we're gonna mm. keep building up karma until mm. we find that devotional love within ourselves and and get on that wavelength. Um, it's a process. You know, it's not like you just snap your fingers and like boom, mm. you're there. Um, but I think cliche the journey is the destination i think just by getting getting on that wavelength of knowing that's even an ideal to, to have uh mm. that's kind of that's sattvic in a way just itself just to have that ideal and sattvic i mean not building karma right just that that ideal to know it's there it seems to be more of a flow state it seems to be more aligned with god like just the I idea of aligning yourself with god and having that as a sort of like yeah like i don't know just like a, a conscious intention behind that that yeah. seems to be uh liberating in itself you know absolutely yeah hope that made sense this is good i like yeah, this conversation yeah. this is shining I, a lot I, of light for me absolutely <laughs> i i feel that since my kundalini awakening really started it was like my karma went from seeming very slow over time you know you could get something back that happened years ago but the more you awaken the more instant it becomes and so it's almost like as soon as i make an action now that is not aligned with my heart i will know it mm, and so yeah. that motivates me <laughs> so that, that very well feedback that feedback mechanism that we're talking about is yeah. more 
almost instantaneous now you're saying that more than mm -hmm. now that you're more aligned and more into your body you can almost like feel that karma quicker right is that what you're mm. saying yeah it's not just feeling it often happens through external mirroring so everything uh -huh. external this is my take anyway everything external mirrors something internal within us and so we can mm -hmm. pick up clues to our state in everything that happens around us everything yeah. and I would have a lot of external clues that would tell me, okay, this was not the way, but we're learning from it. <laughs> Let's apologize and move on. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, I mean, we can kind of change gears a little bit here. The external world right now could serve as a very strong message for humanity, right? There's a lot of chaos, darkness, just confusion, I guess. What, what message do you think that's sending people in yourself? You know, what is that message really showing your being? Well, I feel that confusion and chaos is something that all of humanity really, really needs to learn to hold at this point. So I'm very much into the journey of divine masculine and feminine. Okay. And so that's basically the Shakti and Shiva as they work in our body and, and, and in our space. And the divine feminine is all about experience. It's all about being present with, with our feelings, with what is happening, our senses, and integrating that, you know, our grounded experience. And the divine feminine comes with its darkness and its light. And you can't access the light if you don't hold space for the darkness. And yeah. so it's in, it's in chaos that creativity exists, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's in confusion that we can get lost and so find who we truly are. So those are beautiful qualities and it's something very terrifying for most people to really dive into and hold space for in ourselves. And I feel that we're all kind of learning to hold those things within us so that we can, we can become the unconditionally accepting witness of our feminine nature in that way. Oh, yeah, well said. Wow. Mm -hmm. Harmony through conflict seems to be the way of the, the human learning experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know? Unfortunately, we haven't figured out a way to learn <laughs> yeah. a quicker way than that. <laughs> Light through darkness. Yeah. That's common, yeah, I think essentially. I think we need a balance of both because we can't really experience love if we don't get experiences of love either. So we need to be shown at least some acts of love from mm -hmm. others or from the universe in order to even be able to hold that space in ourselves. Yeah. So what I always tend to say, it's this balance of shadow and light that always needs to happen in our life. If we do a lot of shadow work in order to awaken, to, to expand our awareness, uh, and that goes into some deep, dark terrain, then we need to balance that with light work, with pursuing our joy, with doing things that are just fun and silly and simple and grounded and, you know, walking with our bare feet in the grass or whatever. Um, so I, I feel that we're only just learning as, as a humanity. We're exploring those yeah. polarities. Yeah. And... 
again, we come back to polarity. So polarity is kind of the basis of life, right? Contrast is the basis of life. And what I've found is that it's only by completely and fully exploring one polarity and then another polarity without holding anything back that you can finally release that attachment and stand in the center. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're doing with conflict, with chaos, with confusion. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening right now in the world, as I see it. I hope we're learning from it. <laughs> I hope. If not, it's just going to keep happening. That's the thing. Like we talked yeah. about, there's this individual yeah. karmic aspect, but then there's also the collective karmic aspect. I mean, as as above, so below. You know, it's the individual mm. is the collective in a way. Mm. Um, but the yogis also say something really hopeful about that, that it really only takes a few individuals that have a very expanded awareness and that are rooted in, in themselves and have their heart open to balance uh, a bigger collective of unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. And we are awakening as a humanity. And so it makes sense as we are awakening that we will see all this darkness come up. But we're also balancing that by the increased awareness, by the increased love that is coming through. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful <laughs> yeah, we aren't alone before. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're saying that even though there there's uh, billions of people going through a lot of strife right now, it's actually up to like a select few at this point to use that darkness to know the light and to embody that. I've said embody a lot. I think it's because I'm talking to you. It's the embody experience. <laughs> but, but to embody that in their own life and use that just as like another lesson, like the confusion and, and darkness of the world, bring that into one's own life. And that thus will reflect, hopefully, onto the other world through like, I mean, the outer world through like a sense of um, like almost critical mass. Like it only it mm. takes a select few of these special, I guess you could say, maybe chosen ones, the yogis of the world that will affect the collective. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use the word select few because that may, someone might hear that and feel, okay, that relieves me from the responsibility. I feel that everyone who is at that point of awareness where they can step into more of their heart, where they can step into more of their alignment, their authenticity has the responsibility to do that mm -hmm. and to lead by example, everyone that is on this awakening journey to lead in their by their own example, because that is how more people who may still be unconscious, we might not be able to do anything about that right now, but we can sow seeds and every seed is important. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. We're getting back to it. It's like sow the seeds without having the idea that you are the seed sower, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's like you sow the seeds, but even without thinking about that, that's what you're doing. It just becomes like, a, it becomes almost an obligation, but it's not, it's not obligatory to oneself, if that makes sense. Like it is like, it's just the natural flowing obligation. It's like once you get on this wavelength and you can attest, maybe others can attest, it just becomes, I feel like that servitude that we're talking about, it almost just becomes like, that. there's no other way, like I said, like that's just the natural way. There's no other way to act, I see it. Mm. Once, once you can find that flow within one's life, I feel as though like that's just, that's just the the way of things. That's just the natural, almost evolution of one's 
uh, acting out in the world is just servitude, but it's not out of being the character that serves. It's just becoming the serving, you know, if that makes sense. It's there is, it's like, there is a change in, in behavior I find, but it's not egotistical, you know, mm. it's not, it's, it's a change in behavior, but that there's, I'm not trying to, I'm not, tr that's the thing is I'm not trying to serve anybody. I'm not, mm. there is no trying. It just is. It just it seems like just an acting out. It seems mm. like that's, that's the way. And I, I, I sense that in others as well. A lot of others, like they just find that once you connect and you align yourself with God, that's just what happens. Like you just become a loving servant and mm. just, pff, that's what a human being I almost see is like a natural, our state, our like you know the actual energy of of acting as a human being here with my mind and my hands is just like what i do with this stuff is just naturally help others it, it seems mm. to be in whatever circumstance whatever way that we go about it we all have our own way to go about it but it just seems like it just becomes more inclined toward um just servitude yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, again, if everyone is me and I want everyone to be happy, you know, That's I want it. me yeah. to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Then I do what I can, you know, my gifts to help that happen. I know yeah. I can't do everything. I know I can't change world crises, but I can do what I can do, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's that's my blessing to be able to to share my love in those ways, you mm -hmm. know. Amen to that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for you because, like you said, it's a blessing to be able to do that, to be able to serve. It's actually a, um, I guess, a privilege in a way. I don't know if privilege mm -hmm. is even the right word, but it's like a, it's an honor. It's an it honor. It is an honor, serve. yeah. And then also whoever is being served, it's a win for them as well. So it's mm -hmm. a back and forth. Yeah, it's a selfishly selfless way of life. And uh, that's yeah. how I see the flow. Yeah. <laughs> That's the flow of life. That's the way. Love is the way. Mm. <laughs> That's how I see it. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel too. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, on that note, I don't have anything else really to get into. Uh got any last words for the audience? Anything you wanna anything you wanna say? Well, I would always encourage everyone to take that moment every day as often as possible to just be present in the body and to accept all of that as it is, all of the lived experience as it is. Because at the end of the day, what we're learning to do here is to love our life, to live our life fully. Yeah. And we can learn to accept even, even when the circumstances aren't perfect. If we can learn to accept it then, then it will be very easy when circumstances are better. Mm -hmm. And it's got to start with us. It's got to start with that acceptance. So just being present, allowing all the things that come in life to to come and to be open to it, try to hold an open heart and allow ourselves to feel it fully, you know, all the feelings, allow ourselves to feel all the senses fully because that's life. That's when life is rich, when when we're, we feel alive. Mm -hmm. So. Well said. I, I hope that for everyone. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, 
yeah appreciate uh your wisdom time energy effort that you brought to this uh this conversation this moment um keep doing your thing i wish you all the best thank you for anybody that has listened this long in the future i'll link everything of yours down in the description for anyone to check out highly recommend but uh yeah thanks this was cool thank you so much it's been a pleasure awesome well peace out everybody <laughs> peace out